Well, hello. It is Thursday, August 20th. Two days until fight day. Speaking of, I am recording this on my way to the NXT arena right now. I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. I'm recording the open and the close. And if you want to see my reaction to whatever the fuck goes down this evening on NXT, obviously we'll be live 10 to noon, youtube.com forward slash the Pat McAfee show. If not, we got another podcast coming for you tomorrow. I think you are going to enjoy the hell out of these conversations we have for you today. It's obviously a wild time to be alive. And I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show. Let's get to it. There's a lot of football news to be talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, high school football head coach, Super Bowl champion, and QB guru. He loves that. QB guru <laughs> that got Tua Tongvaloa drafted strictly off of what he taught Tua Tongvaloa. Ladies and gentlemen, Trent Dilfer. Yeah! Wow, look at that beard, Trent. I, I want to be now referred as Ragnar Lofbrook. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, respect it. Uh, congrats, by the way. I don't think I got a chance to chat with you since Tua went number five to the Dolphins. And, and no, I, I know you won't say take the congratulations, but there was a lot of conversation about him potentially tanking there. And you guys just stayed the course. He's now going to be the quarterback of the future for the Miami Dolphins. Congratulations on that. Let's talk about NFL quarterbacks. And let's talk about the AFC East. There's been a lot of chatter about Cam Newton and Bill Belichick. And I would assume that you have a take on this bill belichick greatest coach of all time i think everybody agrees with that cam newton is like a brand new cam newton but there's videos of him dancing in practice yesterday you have never seen come out of patriots camp do you think this is potentially a new bill belichick and how do you feel like this relationship is going to go i do i you know number one you just never count bill out and his staff i mean it's not just bill it's that entire staff and organization he's built um the program I think it'll stimulate them. I think all coaches um, at every level after a period of time grow weary. I don't want to say bored, but weary. And they they need to be stimulated. And I think losing Tom Brady, that's never a good thing, but it can stimulate your staff. It can get their creative juices going again. I think Cam, uh, especially as he's rebuilt his body, um, it gives your staff, your offensive staff, a lot of creative juices. There's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of young players that can go prove themselves. There's schemes you can implement um, that they haven't been able to implement before. Um, it's kind of more Saturday football on Sunday. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me yeah. if during this COVID, these COVID challenges that that staff has been deep, taking a deep dive into Saturday football. Uh, the quarterback-driven runs, the zone reads, the triple options – I mean, these are all real things that the NFL community mocked five, six, seven years ago. Uh, but you could see the trends going from actually Friday night to Saturdays and now to Sundays. So um, I would never count that staff out. Now, do I think they're a Super Bowl champion type caliber team? No, I wouldn't go that oh, far. <laughs> okay. But I think they're a team that can make a deep run as they usually do. Okay, let's stay um, with New England Patriots as a talking point. Tom Brady's exit, obviously, from the New England Patriots captivated headlines everywhere because it's greatest player of all time, greatest coach of all time, separating. And for a lot of people thought it was drama reasons. Now, they both put out their statements, obviously, talking about how they have a lot of respect for each other and blah, blah, blah. But after six Super Bowls, 20 years, I think they're both excited for a fresh new start somewhere. And if you listen to Joe Montana talk about how Tom Brady and he had a conversation, which I would assume Tom's not happy that Montana just went ahead and just talked about their private conversation. <laughs> I don't know your quarterback world, but I'd assume that is one that is not going to be long 
love there. But now Tom, and he said this yesterday, he said, this is the first time in my 30-year football career, even going back to Pee Wee High School and everything, that I had a offensive-minded coach. What does that mean with Bruce Arians and Tom? Like, what does that mean for Tom's career? What does that mean for Tom's play? And how much does that help a quarterback if the head coach is on the same page? And did you see last year, it was talked about a lot with Tom's play. He still played really well, but there seemed to be a burden at times. Yeah. There wasn't quite the same um, body language at times. There, there was more discouragement. Uh, he seemed more frustrated, especially early in the season. Um, I, I think a lot of that um, now goes away. I think excitement, uh, youthful exuberance, oh. that aggressive gene that all quarterbacks have uh, could kind of flourish. Uh, I'm not saying it's a match made in heaven, but it definitely, uh, from an emotional standpoint, can take 10 years off, uh, rewind the clock 10 years. Uh, I think he's going to have fun. Look, it's this simple. He's read things up his whole career. So low to high. Um, That's just the way that system's built. It's a really good way of playing. It's how Joe Montana played. It's how Steve Young played. They read read everything up, low to high. Now they're going to read everything high to low. So his eyes are going to be aggressive. He's going to have more of an assassin's mentality at the line of scrimmage. Now there's risk involved in that. I, I may, you may see a more uh, turnover prone Tom Brady because he's going to take more chances, but you're going to see more explosives too. And I think that can rewind the clock 10 years, let him have a little more fun playing the position. Uh, what else more can he accomplish? I know he's enjoying the leadership role there. I've talked to some people that have been down there and kind of watched the operation, and he's taken on the kind of the coach's hat as well. So he's coaching all the young guys, becoming a mentor. Uh, I think all this stuff uh, for Tom Brady is really, really exciting, and I think you're going to see a more youthful Tom Brady. Is that why the quarterbacks in that system tend to get killed? Because you're waiting for the play to develop almost, and then you got to read back? Is that something that Tom, with his years of experience and understanding defenses, will that help him in that case, or should we expect it, to see Tom get killed a little bit? No, no, I think it will. I, Tom's not dumb. <laughs> we all know that. So I think discretion will win out over aggression. Oh. Uh, I think he'll have, he'll have these opportunities. Like every play in this system has a vertical home run opportunity. Every play. There's not one where everybody's going to run in a hitch at six yards. There's always some kind of matchup. There's always a vertical. There's always a, hey, if you see this, they, they, they make the mistake, take a shot. I think Tom's pre-snap game and even the first second after the ball snapped, his eyes will be looking for that. But about a second and a half into the play, he's going to realize, hey, now's not the time. Let's use discretion. And now his full field reading ability, his feel for the game, you'll still, you'll still see him get the ball a lot, uh, check the ball down off a lot, throw the intermediate stuff, the piercing throws. I just think you'll see more big chunk type plays over the course of 16 weeks. And so when he had Randy, Randy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was awesome. Obviously, they broke a lot of records, but it was cool to watch Tom kind of throw that the deep ball. And like yep. when he got Randy, I mean, getting mossed is still something that is used to this day because of, you know, who Randy is. And he's even on ESPN Monday Night Football Countdown in a full suit and a punt goes up and he's ready. I mean, Randy <laughs> is always tracking the ball, but now he's got a guy in Mike Evans who can go and get it, right? And Godwin yeah. that can go and get it. In the reports out of training camper that he's throwing 60-yard dimes. The conversation whenever he was going to the Bruce Aarons offense wasn't only like, hey, he's going to get killed, he's going to get hit, but Tom's too old to throw the ball that far. I talked to Clyde Christensen. I believe a man that you know rather. Do you know Clyde pretty well? I talked to Clyde. You're my best 
best friends. Yep. Clyde is the man. So when when I had Clyde on the show, quarterback coach, he was Peyton's coach, he was Lux coach. He's been an incredible quarterback coach. Or he he broke in with me, so he learned all the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so literally, he'll tell you this: I learned all the mistakes not to make with Peyton because he left me as my quarterback coach and went and coached Peyton. <laughs> okay, so he's got Trent Dilfer, he's got Peyton Manning, he's got Andrew Luck, he's got Hasselbeck a little bit, but he is tied to a lot of great quarterbacks. And I asked him on the show, I was like, "Hey, people are saying that Tom's arm isn't what it used to be." And he goes, "Right, right, right." Well, when watching film, right, we we saw nothing that would say that. If you watch, the, if we thank you, right. So he Very said, good. he said, if we watch film, none of the film that we watch indicated that Tom has lost any, but there wasn't as many opportunities, which I think people would judge him for. Do you think Tom at that age? I mean, he's a little bit older, obviously. Now, TB12 treatment, I think, yeah, kind of younger. It makes you younger, and it, it makes you immune and everything like that. It makes you attractive, I think, and all that stuff, whatever it does. But <laughs> he do must you, be doing it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, but do you – who, me? Say it. Did you say me? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got a big cheat day coming on Sunday. Don't you worry about that. I will be fat again. But the um, do you think the age and the arm strength is something that they should worry about or Tom's worried about? Because last year there was a couple chances for him to thread a needle at like 20, 30 yards, and they were on an absolute rope. Is that just a false narrative that people are putting out there just because they want to believe that Tom's going to stink? Total false narrative. His mechanics are so tight. His uh, He maximizes every bit of juice in his body. Um, he still has a top 10, 12 arm in the NFL. Um, the biggest thing too, that the analogy I'd give is Phil Mickelson uh, as a golfer. He's 51, I think. And he's added 10 miles per hour to his club. Head Hitting bombs. Bombs. <laughs> I mean, that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about shooting 65 anymore. He just wants to hit it further than everybody. <laughs> but through proper mechanics, uh, you know, there's there's been so much science over the past 10 years on how to get the body to move better and more efficiently. Uh, just imagine how much further you would have punted it if you knew all this stuff. Huh. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing how these old guys are hitting bombs on the golf course. It's the same thing with quarterback play. If you can maximize everything in your body, uh, you're not going to lose any velocity whatsoever or power in terms of distance. Uh, it would not surprise me at all. Um, if he's throwing multiple 55-yard passes in the in the air game. Okay, so let's talk about another older quarterback. It was it came out that the coach chose Philip Rivers over Tom Brady. Now, Chris Ballard wouldn't confirm that to me when I talked to him on draft night, but I said there's reports that Tom Brady was interested in playing for the Colts, and you guys obviously want Phil Rivers, so you picked Phil Rivers over Tom Brady. And he said, I will not confirm nor deny that report, is what Chris Ballard said. <laughs> so that seems like a potential. We heard that there was potential interest, but we went with our guy because he knows the system. Philip Rivers, though, is going to an Indianapolis Colts team in a loaded AFC. I mean, we just talked about the Patriots are always going to be good. And then, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't know how they're getting this money in the salary cap. They're keeping all the horses together somehow. And they got Patrick Mahomes, who's unbelievable. But the Colts last year, before Jacoby got hurt, were a team that was ready to go the defense is great the offensive line is good i think they need to still bring in another weapon to help ty hilton but they got a loaded backfield philip rivers is he gonna be is his arm gonna be able to last for an entire season if they're to make a super bowl run here and is he a guy that just like you said about tom almost gets has gotten better with age well i was a skeptic actually and i'm i've been philip's biggest fan his whole career but i was a skeptic and i was talking to frank Wright, and he challenged me to go back and watch um, big boy throws through last season because every but the narrative around Philip Rivers is that his arm has gone down, he can't push the ball down the field, 
He looks old and decrepit. And, and Frank just challenged me. He said, watch the tape. Here's some clips to go watch. Here's some games. Here's some cut-ups. And I went and watched him. And he had as many deep ball completions as anybody in the National Football League. I mean, he's still pushing the ball down the field. Huh. It looks different, and I can see why people say it. But, yep, but he still has the ability to push the ball down the field. And I think this is a great example, too, of kind of an organization, how they built the offense, how they built the offensive line. They know that they can support an older quarterback with that offensive line, with the loaded backfield, uh, with all those different things that can really maximize what he has left in the tank. And again, if you're getting stops because you have a good defense and you're controlling the clock because you have a big offensive line and you have multiple runners, the quarterback then capitalizes on the few opportunities he has downfield. He doesn't have to throw it 40 times a game. He doesn't have to take 12 hits a game. Uh, and then you know Philip Rivers, and you get in a jam, you're down seven points, you're down ten points. You know he has the ability to put the pedal to the, I mean the the um, pedal to the metal and, and get you points and get you back in the game. You're gonna say foot on the throat and get back. I into was it. that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think maybe I be very kid, very careful these days. Yeah, I was about to say. I think a kid maybe walked into your office in the middle of that. Are, are you? You know what? Uh, an old kid did. I, this is a surprise for you, Phil Dawson. Legend. <laughs> Texas legend Phil what's going on he could probably still kick a kickoff out of the back of the end zone if I had to guess is that accurate Trent no doubt in fact good wind at my back oh <laughs> Phil you are the man living legend Phil Dawson by the way a kick for the Browns kick for the Niners kick for the Cardinals and was somehow at the age of 70 still kicking off <laughs> it was that guy unbelievable to watch his you should see him with our kickers he's out there every night kicking balls even with his broken hip and all that stuff he still <laughs> thinks he's got it Let's talk. You got a big game this weekend. Are you guys? Is he on your coaching staff? You guys got a big. He is special Jeez. teams coordinator. Doing an incredible job with the kids. Doing an incredible job uh, with the team. Let me tell you the first time we met as teammates. Opening drive of what season was it? 05? Oh, Phil, move your head into the camera, Phil. Uh, uh, there we go. They stall out on offense. Trent's all upset. He's coming off the field. I'm running on for a field goal. He's like, you better make this kick. <laughs> if you had done your job, I wouldn't be out here. Oh! <laughs> That's literally what he jogged on the field. <laughs> uh, Phil only played like, I think, 37 years in the NFL. So, like, That's uh, awesome. absolute legend of Don't a man. Don't him out for still playing. He might be the only dual uh, high school football coach, NFL kicker. Oh. We're not careful. <laughs> How's the team? Are you enjoying this coaching? I mean, we're obviously in a COVID world right now. There has to be a yeah. lot of stuff you got going on. A lot of challenges. Um, I don't know where to start. I want to eat up your whole show. It's been a real <laughs> lifetime. Uh, I feel like I was called to do it. Um, I, I have these two signs on my wall. One says, do hard things. One says, at the edge of uncomfortable is where you find greatness. Oh. And, uh, boy, I'm having to live that because I'm having to do hard things and I'm very uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> you really have to. It's almost like a parent. Every decision you make. Uh, really doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with the kids. And now you have a hundred plus of them. Um, and then you add COVID into the mix and who do you trust, right? What are you listening to? Obviously player, um, parent, grandparent, uh, safety, community safety is number one, but mental health is a big part of it too. Oh yeah. And you have to balance, you know, I really trusted the governor. I trusted our headmaster. I trusted our AD. I trusted the data we've been able to capture from a lot of different areas. But just being around them, like just taking the parent hat on and saying, what do these kids need the most? And they really need an outlet. They really need something bigger than themselves. They need community. I've hated this term since day one. I hated this social distancing term. 
Physical distancing, yes, absolutely. If that's what the experts are telling us to do, let's physically distance. But socially, these kids need social interaction. Yeah. They need connection. They need tribe. They need community, whatever you want to package it as. And football gives them that. Uh, there's also something that hasn't been talked a lot about. We have a lot of really good football players that are going to get their secondary education paid for if they play football. You don't play football in a lot of distressed communities around the country and even affluent communities, and these kids are not going to have the chance to get their secondary education paid for. So we probably have 11 scholarship players on our team right now, uh, maybe more if you count our sophomore class. Um, these kids need the opportunity to get their, their college paid for. Their mental health uh, is at stake. Uh, and we have done everything. And it's been an honor doing it, but it's been exhausting. The amount of money we put in for safety protocols, the thought leadership in our, in, in our institution around safety protocols, the kids have really taken upon themselves to own it. They don't all, you know, they're kids, so you, you kind of have to be on them all the time, but they get it. They get that protecting the tribe, protecting their school, protecting their families, you know, that takes, there's some sacrifice there on what they're doing when they're not with us. Uh, and here's the other thing, when they're not with us, they're probably doing something more dangerous than when they are with us. And that's the number one conversation here when it comes to football in general, we can protect them more than when they're not under our care. And that goes for high school, that goes for college, that goes for the NFL, they are going to be safer in our environment and their families will be safer in our environment than if we just let them go scatter. How many, by the way, that was, I felt like I was just in a team meeting right there. <laughs> hey, yeah, you, you said this is your, your calling. I, I think it's potentially your best asset. That was an incredible speech right there, but you're obviously watching, incredible, by the way. That was really awesome to hear you say that. But you're watching this college football conversation happen right now, I would assume, and you're now in the high school football world. You have a game this weekend. Is this your first game this weekend? First game, Friday night, yeah. Is there Good luck, obviously. We're pulling for you. 11 scholarship kids. I mean, you guys are ready to go. <laughs> yeah. But the awesome. uh, not counting the sophomore class, there's probably five more in there, <laughs> let alone if Phil Dawson's with the kickers. There's probably two more on there. <laughs> yeah. But let's, uh, yeah, yeah, let's keep it going up there. But have you watched the college football thing unfold at all, or have you been so busy? It seems like now Herb Street was on yesterday, and Herbie, uh, he's in the same city as you right now. Herbie knows everybody, right? So yep. when, when Herbie's saying something, and he said something on our show yesterday, I understand that Herbie's opinion is coming from all the information that he has from everybody. And he's saying it feels like this is just a delay, 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 an inevitability, a cancellation is going to come for everybody, even though the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 says they're going to keep, keep going. You're doing this high school football thing with 100 and some kids, which is the same size as a lot of college rosters. Would it be possible, you think, to do the college football? Or do you think that with the way things are going in the college world, that you also, there's no chance of it popping off? You know, I... I Pat, I made this mistake when I was on TV. It's probably why you hated me so much. There were times I would talk about things I didn't know. Oh, like kicking and punting. Is Phil still in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he gave me all those things, bad things to say about me. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. No. Um, I don't know. They, they have challenges that are so far greater than mine, and mainly it comes with crossing state borders. Mainly, it, it, that's, that's the big element that we don't have to deal with in the high school space. Uh, they also have institutions where they're they're going back into classrooms or on campuses with 20, 30, 40, 50,000 kids. Um, it, it's a different age group, right? They can drink. They can go out and they can go to bars. They can have social lives. They're a little more dynamic than a dorky little 16-year-old boy, right? This <laughs> yeah, playing. When true. he leaves us, he's playing uh, 
what's that video game they all Fortnite, play? Fortnite, I believe. Call of Duty. Thank you. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So that's over. about as much trouble <laughs> as our kids are going to get into is staying up too late playing Call of Duty. So um, there's just different challenges, and I don't want to pretend to know what's going on in those athletic director meetings and board meetings and president meetings and all that stuff. I do know this, though, that if they lose it, um, there's going to be a tremendous fallout with the mental health capacity. There's going to be an issue. There's going to be a ma major fallout with home issues. There's going to be a lot of uh, auxiliary or shrapnel, let's call it. There's going to be a lot of shrapnel um, that happens if there's not football. The goodness of football is the topic that I think has been lost here. Um, and I think you get it. I think the football community gets it. Anybody that's played it gets it. Unfortunately, a lot of the decision makers don't get it. They don't get that there's football, the game we play, the game we love, the economic impact that it has. And unfortunately, that becomes the focus. When really the greatest thing about football and every high school player that's watching your show, and I know there's millions, is going to go, yes, is the goodness of football. The goodness of football does more for a young football player's life than maybe any other influence in their academic track. And it doesn't have, it sometimes has nothing to do with what happens between the lines. They learn lessons that they wouldn't learn in other arenas. They learn lessons they don't learn in the classroom. They learn figure it outness. They learn critical thinking. They learn grit. They learn all these things that, you know, what makes them, makes them super uber successful like you and CEOs and fire chiefs okay. and lawyers and whatever it is. That's why ex-football players go and dominate the world. Because they've learned these lessons, hard things, being uncomfortable, overcoming adversity, learning to love and be part of something bigger than yourself, learning to integrate with people that grew up different than you. That's what a, a novel one. thought. That's a big that one. There's a sport that could bring people from different social, economic, ethnic, whatever backgrounds together and say, we are exactly the same. And we have the exact same purpose in mind and we're all trying to do this together i mean i really think our world needs a dose of a week of football like the whole world just needs a dose of bill belichick coaching you <laughs> bill got to coach the world one week. Well, well, i bet you the world would be a better place so that's the topic that hurts me here is that that global conversation the goodness of football hasn't been at the forefront and we're trying to keep it at the forefront here trent these are two. This is two speeches. You're in this head coach role right now. Have had two speeches that got people ready to oh, run yeah. through a wall here. I do believe, like I was a soccer player growing up, which is its own culture, its own environment. I played other sports, but once I got in that football locker room, it was just a different world. It really was just a completely different place because you got humans of all builds, all makes all sizes, all with one goal coming together, and then those workouts are a nightmare, and everybody brutal. gets through it brutal, and everybody gets through it together. I mean, you're a, that, that type of thing, by the way, and, and when you said it's people that haven't played football that are making these decisions, it's also sometimes, and I don't want to ever, you know, generalize, generalize here, there's a war on football like four or five years ago right yeah and the people that were having that war on football were a lot of the academic people a lot of super science people, doctor people because there's obviously inherent risk when it comes to football i mean no that's something that happens but good outweighs the bad in a lot of cases especially in football by uh, by a large mean but those people are now making the decision on whether or not football happens it's like well they kind of got us by the uh gut sack <laughs> you got it Diggs. what do you got you got it Trent, I hey 
Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I just have one question for you, Pat, before we end. And I can go as long as you want. I just want to hijack your show, but go ahead. No, Trent, by the way, Tuesday, there's not really much to talk about. We let <laughs> off with a guy getting yelled at for hitting a grand slam last night. I mean, there's not That's much. That's why you have me on a Tuesday. It's the... <laughs> let me be your Tuesday filler guy. Hey, Tuesday, Trent, here we go. <laughs> uh, what do you got, Diggs? What do you got? Trent, I wanted to ask you if, you, if you've stayed in contact with two uh, after the draft, and what kind of situation is he going into with Ryan Fitzpatrick as his, uh, in his quarterback room to lead him? Yeah, I, I really don't. I've, I've always made it a point with my relationship with whether it's an Elite 11 guy, a college guy, because I hated it when I was playing when all like the people from your past were talking to you all the time and checking in on you. Checking in on you. So we've texted a few times. We DM every once in a while. I talk to his parents off and on. Um, every sign has been good. He's been excited. Uh-oh, I went black. We no, you're good over here. You're good over all here. Right. Yeah, my screen went black. Um, uh all signs are good. He's been excited. He's he's been excited about the opportunity. Ryan is the ultimate pro. Um, I like Ryan. I think Ryan's the ultimate guy to have in the locker room. And I tried to be this at the end, especially with Alex Smith, where you're a ment- you're helping, you're giving them all the information you have from your years of experience. But that's you're not handing it over on a silver platter <laughs> and saying, "Oh, it's yours to have. Take my job." It's no. I'm going to help you be the best you can be. But come get me. Like, I'm going to go out to practice every single day. I'm going to attack every meeting. I'm going to attack every weight session. I'm going to attack every team leadership opportunity as if I'm the dude. And if you can see how that's done and you have your own way of doing it, great, do it. We don't need to be competitive with the leadership thing, but let's compete every day on who can be the best guy on the field, the best guy in the locker room, the best guy in the weight room. And I think Ryan will give two of that. And he'll, he'll need that push because he pretty quickly won the job at Alabama um, although Jalen was a great player, and I think Jalen's going to be a pretty good pro, um, Tua kind of became the dude pretty soon. He may not be the dude in the locker room right away, and that's going to be good for him. I, I think that'll be a really healthy experience for him. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been there, done that with every organization too. So every tip, he'd be like, hey, at this place, this happened. This, that'd be awesome. And by the way, Fitzpatrick, great golfer. Uh, oh, yeah. We saw him at the golf event. We went to a golf event with him down in Atlanta. He hits the hell out of the golf ball, let alone his mind of a Harvard man and his heart of a plumber. Plumber. That guy would run his face into anything if he had to do it. Not a bad guy to learn from. And a great beard. Not quite oh, the yeah. Ragnar Lofbrook that I got going on, but a great beard. You're proud of that thing, huh? Yeah, you are. Uh, this has been. This has really been my project. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. Proud. I can. I can grow it on my face and my back. Nowhere else. So I gotta choose one to groom, and I'm not gonna groom the back. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure the back looks fantastic. You brought up Alex Smith right there. Before we let you go, and we can't thank you enough for all the time you spent here. This is a long time that you've taken out of your day here, especially with the big game this weekend. I appreciate you doing this, Alex Smith. Now, we all watched a video of him coming out of his house and, and in practice and everything, and then we've heard the story, damn near dead, this guy. 17 surgeries, damn near dead. He came out and said that if I wasn't to make my return or come back and do that, how could I look my kids in the eye and tell them that they should stick to something? This has been an incredible story. For those that know Alex Smith, what are your thoughts on this? Because I've never met the guy. I've just seen it from afar. But what an absolute legend Alex Smith is for this mental toughness to get back here. I'm not sure he'll ever be back on a football field ever again but the fact that he ever got cleared is just absolutely insane because we've all been through rehab and it's a pain in the ass i couldn't even fathom what he's had to go through have you read angela duckworth's book on grit just quick never read a book before in my life <laughs> okay 
I should know. Get, get it on audio. Okay. 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 And do okay. it while you're on your Stairmaster, because I know you're a big Stairmaster guy. Hey, you see these quads? You see these quads? <laughs> That's uh, all Stairmaster. I'm, I'm more of a Peloton guy. Oh. Ooh. You and Hasselback on that you're a big Stairmaster guy. And by the way, before I answer the Alex Smith question, really, honestly, good luck this weekend on the wrestling thing. Thank That's you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't get over the ropes. That I wouldn't know how to get in the ring. I, literally, I would not be able to get in. They'd have to, like, forklift me in to get me in the, the arena. Um, if she ever does a, uh, what do they call that when they do another cycle of the book, uh, re- reprint or whatever, yeah. he should be the cover. I mean, because you, you start studying grit, and, and really, she's the one that made it a mainstream conversation. It's the it's the combination of passion and perseverance for a long term goal, and it drives you in a way that most people can't understand. Uh, it's really the the number one um, differentiator in high performers. And Alex, when I even with his, I was with him his second and third years in the NFL. You could see it then. There was just he's made differently. There's something inside of him. It's like the Brady. Uh, it's like the Manning. It's like the Breeze. There's just something that was birthed into them that's different than everybody else. I I, I tried to be a tough guy in the NFL, and I had a lot of tough experiences. And then I realized really quick, no, this is a real tough guy. Like, this is a real, real tough guy. This is a guy that has something that drives him that maybe I can't put my finger on. And so this really doesn't surprise me. And But I think the long-term goal for him isn't necessarily the football. It's what you touched on. He's adamant about being a great husband. He's adamant about being a great father. He's adamant about changing the world. Like, he has a real global perspective. And I think his long-term goal that he's passionate about is being an example for others. And I think he he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice when he was going through each one of those surgeries because he would wake up each morning and say, I got to get through this because people are watching this unfold. And if I quit at any point, that's going to give somebody else the excuse to quit. So I'm super proud of Alex, as everybody else should be. But honestly, it doesn't surprise me after spending two years with him. Man, that's three speeches now. You Ladies and gentlemen, head coach of a high school. What's the name of the high school? It's called Lipscomb Academy. It's uh, in Nashville. All right. Well, good luck to the Lipscomb Academy. What's the mascot? We're the Mustangs, baby. Oh, hey, oh. we're all Mustangs here. We're all, we're, plum- all Mustangs. Hey, hey, I'll tell you what. We're going to send you off some swag stuff, okay? If you'll wear it on the show, we'll send you some cool yes, jo- Jordan hoodies. Oh, yeah. You got it. And they're purple. Do you too. want a tank top? I know you're bad. We're going to have tank top Tuesdays here, so do you want me to kind of <laughs> order some tanks? Please, tank top, sleeveless hoodies, uh, anything. Oh, you- I got sleeveless hoodies with the Mustang. I'm going oh, muscle that's- shirts now. I hired Grant Williams. Remember Grant? Played for the Patriots. Seahawks, Rams, right tackle. I know the name, yeah. Played nine years. Uh, he's my offensive line coach. He is a muscle shirt, no oh shoes God. coach. Every shoot. day at practice, Pat McAfee muscle shirt, big old nasty 45-year-old sagging guns, size <laughs> 15 feet, no shoes, all nasty toes and grass stains and all that stuff. That's how we roll around here. So we'll get you some swag. If you'll wear it, we'll send it off. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch the Lipscomb Academy Mustangs take over Nashville and Tennessee football. Ladies and gentlemen, their head coach, Super Bowl champion, Trent Telfer. Thank you, Trent. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. 
That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet, too. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking, designate a sober driver, or call a taxi or an Uber. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This is paid for by NHTSA. They've turned around from being a triple option to a pro-style offense in the ACC, bringing in all of Atlanta. The man that was tasked with that, the head coach of the Georgia Tech football squad, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Collins. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Hey, hey I try to stay. I try to do it for the brand, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sleeveless. You look amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, right now, incredibly crazy times. You've been a coach for a long time. Obviously, we're in the middle of a very different world right now. Uh, the conversation about college football is obviously a lot of question marks. How have you been keeping all that distraction out of your locker room? How have you been keeping that out of your mission? What has it been like talking to your team? with the time that we're in right now yeah well i don't think you keep it out of it i think we talk about it every single day over and over and over different ways different layers different messaging different groups team meetings zoom meetings position meetings uh, our cohorts that we are divided up into the coaches that run that uh keeping that conversation alive and our guys have done a great job with it. our coaching staff has done an amazing job with it and just keeping that going, keeping the narrative, understanding uh, the situation that we're in, the protocols that our medical professionals and our health uh, staff has put together for us, and, and the guys have done a great job with it. Okay, whenever I talk to your players, they love the environment that you built down there. Absolutely loved it. I, I mean, every single player to a man was like, hey, whenever coach got here, this entire building changed. Music blasting throughout the entire place. I mean, it's just like they feel like they come in there and have a good time. I assume some of that has to change now, right? Because there's groups that come in. Have you, have you been able to keep up with your culture that you're trying to build while having to maintain with all these medical guidelines? Well, I think the biggest part of the culture is the, the love, trust, and the relationships. That piece is never going to change. Those have even gotten stronger, uh, even when we were away from each other. Uh, the relationship piece, the, the communication piece, that's even gotten stronger. Now, a typical Georgia Tech practice is completely different now. We're usually two spots, and there's 60 guys going at once, and there's mayhem and chaos and music and all kinds of insanity. We're not doing that now. We've got safety loops painted all over the sidelines. There's like 220 uh, safety loops painted six feet apart. And if they're not in a safety loop, that's when the chaos ensues because we got to keep these guys apart while we're doing the practices, while we're doing our work. Uh, the music, because we're having to train them how a game is going to work. Typically, you just play music all the time because in between the plays, there's going to be crowd noise. Now we're doing it exactly how we'll do it during games where uh, when the play ends, we crank the music up. Then right when the quarterback gets his hands ready, we kill the music and it's dead silence until the play's over. So we're training our guys 
how a game day environment's going to be in th- this day and time. Yeah, because you got to keep them hyped. Because music does a big uh, music not only helps people deal with sound and things like that. It's also a little boost of energy whenever some heater comes on, a throwback yep. heater comes on. It's like a lift to the entire team. But it's going to probably be pretty empty stadiums that you're playing in. So it's like a, a kind of a fine balance there. Let's talk about what you're hearing about the season, though, Coach, shall we? Because we we are all hearing the conversations that are happening everywhere. Coaches in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are obviously up in arms because they weren't able to talk or say anything, but their medical experts are making decisions. Down there in the ACC, have you guys just, have you just been focusing on football and you let the athletic director and everybody else figure it out, or have you been a part of those conversations as well? Well, the conversations are had. We, we've met as an SEC head coaches group every single week uh, since, the, since the start of the pandemic and the quarantining. Uh, so there's constant communication our athletic director, Todd Stansberry, does a great job, the communication piece. I literally talked to him right after uh, I got off the practice field today, walking back over here. So that there is constant communication. Um, and just the big thing with us and one of the core philosophies in our program is control what we can control. So every day I come in, what's the situation that we're allowed to function in? What are the best health and safety practices? What are the protocols? What can we improve on? That is the daily focus. If they're allowing us to progress, then we're going to progress safely, healthy, um, and make sure our guys are following the proper protocol so we do this thing the right way. And then back to music, Pat, real quick. So we have Techno Tuesdays. Oh! Like that. So Techno Tuesdays. And then we have ATL Wednesdays. Okay. And that's what we had today. It's every single artist has to be from the ATL, from the 404, and we keep that rolling on Wednesdays. Thursdays, I won't get into that. It's really good music. And then Fridays, uh, we'll play a little soul, some blues. That's our Friday playlist. And then game day, put the ball down, and it is on. Hey, you guys got White Boy Thursday. That's awesome. I, uh, that's, that's, what I just, that's what I just heard. Okay, no biggie. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. The, um, the team down there with you guys, you're a young team. You were a young team last year because you were transitioning out of the triple option. You're into the pro style, which, by the way, not an easy thing to do in, the, in college football because you have to change every position. You had, I think your biggest offensive lineman was like 260 or something because in triple option they got to move. D linemen were tiny. You were basically tasked with overhauling that entire thing to become a more explosive, exciting offense and recruit everything. And you're going to rely on a lot of patience from the athletic director to be like, hey, once I get my guys in there, how do you feel about your young group? How do you feel about the squad that you have? And uh, does it feel like, hey, Georgia Tech, we're getting to a place where you're you're pretty excited about it? Yeah, I'm excited. Every day I come to work with these guys, the culture is really, really good. Uh, I think there, there's some stat that we've got the most returning production in the country, and that goes back that we had to play a lot of, a lot of young guys yet last year. They did a really good job. The leadership piece, the culture piece, the foundation piece is really good. We signed one of the top two recruiting classes in Georgia Tech football history. The defensive line that we signed goes six, 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 five, six, four and a half. Our offensive line that we signed goes six, seven, six, 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 five, six, four. Uh, we've gained on average 18 pounds per man across the offensive line. We've gained 17 pounds per man across the defensive line. Those kind of things are huge in the development, but the attitude, the mindset, the work ethic, even though we have a ton of fun and you've been around us, we work really, really, really hard. 
and they give great effort. We're a culture built on effort, and the guys understand when we get out on that field, we're going 1,000 miles an hour. We're going to do it safely. We're going to follow protocols. Once we're done, we're done. We're going to recover. We're going to regen, and then we're going to handle ourselves the right way in the community at one of the top four academic schools in the country. I love that you have a group that work hard and play hard, right? And last year, I got a chance to see the team put on. I mean, it was a great game. Get, and maybe I should call every game that you guys have down there. But what I, I would agree. With <laughs> <laughs> but I learned, I learned that all of Atlanta's buying in on Georgia Tech. And yep. Atlanta is one of, obviously, the most influential cities in the country for everything. Anytime Atlanta gets involved, everybody knows, like, hey, big voices are being talked about here. Atlanta's buying into Georgia Tech. Now, everybody knows it's normally a bulldog state, but you got Waffle House down there. You got Coke down there. Yep, there's a cup. Waffle House coffee got it. You got, <laughs> you got Turner down there. You got a lot of companies that are based down there. And this name, image, likeness thing that's coming to fruition, Atlanta is a obviously our already popular city plus you have a lot of companies that want atlanta's georgia tech to do well and i've been talking about this for a couple months after talking to you i was like hey what they got going on in georgia tech in the setup in georgia tech with his name image likeness and the offense that they're doing in the recruiting ability and knowledge that jeff collins has georgia tech's going to be a monster in a few years and that is basically what you told it can you break that down a little bit on why i people have called me an idiot when i said i'm like no i believe it one thousand percent i really do and so do I. I've had a dream. I've had a vision of what this place can be, what this place is supposed to be. Pat, you've sat in my office right here. When you literally look right outside the office, that, that was a, a nice little flex right there, Pat. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah good flex. Right outside the office, the world headquarters of Coca-Cola is literally right there. And then you've got AT&T, you've got Georgia Pacific, you've got Southern Company, you've got, all, you've got Accenture, you've got all of these companies Chick-fil-A is right here in our backyard. The internship piece is huge for our guys. Uh, the amount of guys that do internships in the offseason, the amount of guys that did internships uh, during a global pandemic when all of us were quarantined, they were still able to do their internships. Those kind of things add real value uh, to what we're able to sell and the guys that we're able to attract. The education piece, the academic piece uh, is unparalleled in major college football and then you you also embody the culture that is Atlanta, that is our locker room. I mean, there were more movies filmed in the state of Georgia than in Hollywood last year. So the entertainment piece, the music piece, all of those things intertwine at a junction that's right here in downtown Atlanta. We embrace it. We take pride in it. And we coach our guys. We love our guys. And we're going to maximize every single thing uh, that they can do for their exposure, for their brand, uh, for their life after football. All of those things are rolled up into one. And that's the reason why Georgia Tech is going to be back to the top of college football where we belong. Hey, are you a Georgia boy, aren't you? I am. I'm born eight miles uh, east of here. So this is a big I, – I, you feel the passion because I assume whenever you're coaching at other places, you're looking at Georgia Tech, which is your hometown basically, and you're like, that school should be. That school should be. Then you get the gig, and now you're getting a chance to experience it. That has to be pretty cool. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to happen. Yeah, 100%. I, I still remember being a young guy. They used to play a, a uh, Georgia Tech – uh, Georgia Tech versus a school that's 72 miles outside of Atlanta that we play. That's our in-state rival. Uh, that game used to be played right here on Thanksgiving Day, the JV game. And I would sit right up in those stands and watch the game. 
Then we would go home to my grandma's house, have Thanksgiving dinner. We'd play the turkey bowl, um, and I'd win it a little plaque with a little wishbone on it <laughs> and just dream of what this place can be, what this place should be, what this place will be, and I take a lot of pride in it. Hell yeah. I tell you, I, I talked, I didn't. I, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You I said, said it. I said, hey, man, this guy has a real passion for the school. He understands the weapons it has, and he is an incredible recruiter. I mean, at Temple, at Temple have you seen mm-hmm. the oh, athletes yeah. that come out of Temple here lately? He was there with Matt Rule, with everybody up there. Diggs, what do you got? Coach, you were just talking about that school that's also in Georgia, and I was looking at your schedule, and I believe every ACC team is playing their conference schedule and then one non-conference, and I saw yours as UCF. So how did you guys decide, or how did it – how was it decided that UCF was going to be your non-conference game versus versus a school like the other school in Georgia, and how did that go? Well, I think that was a decision made outside of our conference, so we didn't have any control over that. The 10 plus 1, I believe, was set so that those games could be played. For whatever reason, they were, they were deemed they, they weren't going to play those. So then we look at our schedule, and competition is king in our program. We want to compete, and UCF – has had a great run. I've coached there in the past uh, with Coach O'Leary, uh, who just got inducted into the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame. Um, but UCF, really good team, uh, have done really well. We want to make sure we're playing the best teams that we can possibly play. And so our athletic director, our administration, was able to keep that game on our schedule. Uh, great players, great coaches. And then along with the other 10 games that we'll play in the ACC, uh, and we're really excited about it. Our guys are fired up to compete, and we just got to continue to follow the protocols, take it phase by phase, step by step, do it the right way um, to give us a chance. How the hell is that going to happen? Hey, Coach, let's, let's have a, a real-life conversation about college kids because the pictures have hit the Internet from Tuscaloosa, from North Georgia. You're hearing in Notre Dame 149 positive cases. They're locking kids back into their houses doing online tuition. I believe North Carolina is doing the same. Mac Brown actually came out and said, well, if everybody's going to be inside, that's actually good for us because we can keep the bubble thing. How are you – like setting forth like, hey, we need to be very accountable here. We need to be very loyal to each other here because it's not just the players, by the way. It's GAs, it's athletic trainers, it's equipment managers. It's that entire building buying in. How How is that going to happen? Because a lot of people are like, college football can happen, but if you look at campuses in general, it doesn't look like that's going to be a positive experience. How does the football team do it? How is it going to work? And the, the guys have done a great job so far just controlling what we can control, using the messaging using lessons learned from other places to make sure our guys understand what we have to do when we get out into the classroom setting, whether it be in in, in setting, a hybrid, or in virtual world, when we're out on campus, how we have to maintain our bubble, our personal bubble, protect our team's bubble, and then also the, the, the marketing piece, making sure that we're out there on social media, talking about wearing a mask, talk about maintaining social distance, if you came out to the plaza, I don't know if you remember, Pat, there's a huge jumbotron outside of our stadium, and it faces down the, the Yellow Jacket Alley where some of the fraternities and sororities are. We had them put up a, however big that thing is, billboard of me wearing a mask saying, wear your mask at Coach Collins. If you drive down 7585, there's a huge Georgia Tech digital billboard. Again, it's my face up there covered up. And maybe the mask has been good for me because I get to cover this thing up. <laughs> it's out there. So the, the messaging, so whenever uh, the young people, the students that are on campus, at least they're seeing the message as well, wear a mask. Our uh, president, Dr. Cabrera, has set up uh, 
places where they can get PPEs all over campus. They can get testing all over campus. Um, so those steps are being implemented, and it's going to take all of us uh, to be able to have success with this. It's going to take, take a collective, and you know, hopefully we can use our influence for the greater good for our campus, for our community, uh, and even for the city. It'll be awesome if it happens, man. I cannot wait to watch. I am happy that you joined us. I love talking to you the day before the game. I've enjoyed talking to you today. You're electric. Can't wait to see what you do with Georgia Tech. And can't wait to see how these guidelines, protocols are implemented throughout this entire uh, semester so we can have football season. It's going to be tough, but I'm excited to see you guys pull it off. I appreciate you, Coach. Thanks, guys. And the sun's out, the guns are out. Let's go. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> coach, good luck down there. Ladies and gentlemen, head coach of Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff. Woo. He seems very positive that football is going to happen. Yeah. And that guy is a guy that's in conversation every single day, he said, with the ACC. Now, granted, whatever happens on campus is definitely going to dictate what happens in the football world. But he's, I told you, by the way. Hey, yeah, he the did. passion that he had for Atlanta was so real when he was talking to us. <laughs> Joining us now is a man who's in the Edmonton bubble for the NHL. We should let the beat drop, I guess. This is for Pierre right here. <laughs> Pierre McGuire. What's up, Pierre? Yeah! Yeah! Pierre! Woo! How you doing, Pat? Could you hear that beat drop right there? That sounds like that's something right out of your playlist. Am I accurate in thinking that? Oh, yeah, especially when I'm at the rink. Absolutely, 100%. Hey, Beard looks good. I haven't got a chance to see a lot of Western Conference playoff games. How have you been performing? You feel like you've been on top of your game? Feel like the words are coming out good? I hope so. I think so. Um, I think I've done 30 games in whatever the amount of days we've been here. So uh, last Friday I did three. This Saturday I did two. Sunday I did three. And yesterday I did two. And I have two more today. So been pretty busy okay so let's talk about that has it been a bit tiring in this bubble and i mean obviously for production and television it's a little bit different than the players but what has life been like in there everybody's just kind of busy doing their work going home is that kind of the narrative for everybody in there a uh, great question and the answer is yes i think the professionalism of the players and the coaches and the trainers has been phenomenal uh we've got a small production crew out here right now pat so uh, everybody's kind of just hunkering down together. But it it's pretty amazing when you think about it. There's only three hotels in the Edmonton pod. They're all connected through a chain-linked fence walkway um, where nobody can get in or nobody can get out unless they're part of the NHL uh, pod system or bubble. And you get to know everybody pretty quick. The other day I was just walking into the building. I see Max Pacioretty of the Vegas Golden Knights, Paul Stassi of the Vegas Golden Knights. Right after that I see Marc-Andre Fleury and and everybody's kind of just become a small family, believe it or not, just uh, discussing different things, discussing the hockey, discussing their families, discussing friends. So it's been kind of neat that way. But I would tell you, I think fatigue will sit in as we go along here. I had a chance to talk to a coaching staff yesterday, and their biggest concern is the everyday uh, testing and, and the amount of fatigue that can sit in just from being in the same place for such a long period of time. Yeah, and let alone the games. A lot of games have gone to overtime. There's been a lot of free, ho free hockey. <laughs> free hockey. Free hockey. Yeah. There's been a lot of free hockey out there. So the testing, is it every single day, every morning? Is there a time that people have to go in? Because I assume the time, the amount of hours it takes to return a result is a little bit longer than expected. You can't leave your hotel until you have a temperature Text, uh, test, excuse me. So they have these uh, computerized situations that are set up in the lobby of all three hotels and also in the lobby of the rink. 
Um, so, and you can only, it only lasts for 12 hours. So you got to get your temperature checked every 12 hours before you leave your building, whether it's the rink, whether it's your hotel, um, you have to be checked. So that's the first part of the process. The second part is once you get to the rink, the league set this up unbelievably well. Um, uh, they do it in alphabetical order. And so I'm McGuire. So I go L through P that's the line I go through. And they have a piece of paper there set up with your name on it. You pick one of the eight lanes that's available. You go in and there's a nurse practitioner there uh, that tests you for COVID. One day it's a nasal swab, one day it's a throat swab. Uh, and then you have to go through security at the arena and then you're allowed into the uh, the arena. Way is this weird? I, you, you mentioned, by the way, I don't want to say that you ever look anything less than fantastic because you do look fantastic at all times <laughs> but you do look as if this has been quite a process like what has been the reaction what was the expectation you think by the players and even you going into the bubble versus reality in the bubble uh i knew it was going to be a process i think everybody else did too but i think you you as you prepare for it it's like anything else there's always going to be uh hiccups there's always going to be changes that you have to go through and I think the biggest thing is just every day of going through it. I think not for me, because I, I I'm not playing. I'm not getting beat up every day. But I think the fatigue factor does sit in does sit in for the players. I really do. And um, you know, the hardest thing for me is just to prepare for two or three games a day. So that's more cerebral than it is physical. Um, for for those guys, it's more physical than it is cerebral. And then I think it starts to affect your psyche. You know, you've got loved ones that aren't even close to being here. And so I think for the players that's gonna be the issue is we go deeper and deeper into this who does that benefit because when i was watching that five overtime game there was a couple guys on the ice who still had juice in the fifth overtime you, you could tell like oh those are high mo those are the guys who in football no matter what we were doing they always had energy when everybody else was dead tired yeah. they were who does it benefit this kind of long drawn out situation well, I think the guys are obviously unbelievably well fit uh, professionally. I'm talking about uh, their cardiovascular system, their leg strength, everything else. But also um, the guys that did a lot of work during the pause, some guys didn't work as hard as others just because they didn't have the facilities available or they weren't able to skate. Whereas, penguins. you know, some of the guys that went back to Europe. <laughs> Is that why the Penguins lost? Is that why the Penguins lost? What the heck? No, the, pe the Penguins lost because of exactly what I told you before we went into the pause or into the tournament, I should say. Uh, Carey Price and Shea Weber affected the outcome of that series unbelievably, yeah. and the Penguins just weren't deep enough right. to to All overcome right. that. All right, who's going to win the Stanley Cup? I don't do that, but I would tell you this: <laughs> I, saw I saw a team yesterday from Colorado that is really, really good, and Nathan McKinnon is as good as any player in the National Hockey League right now, and he's surrounded with an amazing supporting cast. It's got a lot of grit and a lot of intestinal fortitude. I'd also oh. tell you that the uh, Vegas Golden Knights are really good from out west. They're outstandingly <laughs> good. They're amazingly well coached. Uh, and in the east, I think anybody could win. I really, Tampa's good. Boston's yeah. good. Even though Washington's down 3-0, they could push back. The, one of the biggest surprises are the New York Islanders and what they're doing. Uh, it's been an amazing tournament so far, Pat. It really has been. NHL is looking at this as a massive success, I'd assume, because there's been what? zero. I've heard zero COVID. Uh, any COVID diagnosis is out of the hubs. The games have been on television. The games have been good. The games have been competitive. It feels like this is a massive smashing success for the NHL. Is that how it is from the inside? Absolutely. Um, I told you, I think, two or three weeks ago, that I thought this was a shining moment for the National Hockey League and Commissioner Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Daly and also for the National Hockey League Players Association. I really believe that. But the thing I'm most proud of is the way the players have handled this, Pat. 
they've been amazingly professional and no complaining at all, Pat. They're just out here busting their tails every single day. The caliber of the play has been phenomenal and the, the competitive nature of these games. You know, if you don't want to be here, you'll find out because you won't be here long because you just won't be good enough or intense enough to compete. But all these teams are just competing at another level, which I never expected that to be. After four and a half months away from the rink, I'm so proud of the players and the way they've carried themselves. So you would say that the standard of the play has been definitely upheld, which a lot of people are worried about. A lot of people are like, well, there'll be no fans to get them motivated. They'll be in an interesting setting. There'll be a lot of grind. You think the standard, for people that haven't watched the NHL playoffs, you would say that the standard of play, the rate of play, is one that the NHL is very, very thrilled with? Oh, absolutely. I would say the level of play has been just as good as any level of play we've had in a Stanley Cup playoff run before. And especially when you consider you're in the middle of the summer, a lot of people are concerned about the ice quality. Well, I can tell you, I can't speak for Toronto because I'm not there, but I can tell you the ice quality in Edmonton's as good or better than any ice quality we have at any other time of the season uh, in the National Hockey League. So that's something they should be really wow. proud of as well, and that allows the players to play at a higher level, but you watch some of the skill plays of a, a Jonathan Taze or a Patrick Kane, or, um, you know, you watch Jonathan Marshall of Vegas, or uh, you, you watch Riley Smith of Vegas, or before he got eliminated, Connor McDavid of Edmonton, or Nathan McKinnon, or Miko Ranton, and you watch some of these players play, and you're like, whoa, these guys are really good. I heard Edmonton's a dump. Happy to hear that that's not the case. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. should have been a you should have been a punter out here for the Edmonton football team. They I, always won a lot of great cups. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, sadly, unfortunately, I do believe the CFL is something that I don't know if it's yeah. made it not going to survive the quarantine. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed CFL immensely, but they said they're going to have their biggest year coming back next year. Let's talk a little bit more about the coverage. That five overtime game that they had, or you covering three games in one day, or anything? Are you just housing Red Bulls back there? Are you? Are you what, are, what are you doing? Is there is Adderall cracked into the Pierre Maguire? <laughs> how are you? How are you staying alive? Three. That's a long time, especially whenever you're going throughout the process that you're going in every day. A lot of people talk about the players. Let's let's put the players aside for just a moment here. Let's talk about Pierre Maguire and the production staff here. That seems like a long ass day for you. It's, it is a long day. Um, you know, and I start radio uh, in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which I've been doing for 22 years now. I start that show at 6 a.m. here. So usually I, I leave the hotel around um, 10, 30, or 11 in the morning, mountain time, and I get back around midnight, and then I'm up around 5.30 in the day. Um, I'll get about another hour sleep. I'll go to the gym. You know, it's the cool part about the pod is um, the referees are all staying in our hotel. You should see how fit these guys are. So I get a chance to go in the gym and work out with them, which is a lot of fun. And then I head right to the rink and spend the rest of the day at the rink. But you, Wayne Gretzky owns a restaurant here in the arena, and it's open for all of us in the pod, and, and the food's been great. So that's where we go between games and just stock up on food and, and then just keep working. Well, Pierre, I'll tell you what. That will never get talked about on the broadcast or on Twitter whenever people are tweeting about Pierre Maguire. I want to let you know the fact that you're running on like three, four hours of sleep every yeah. single day, calling two, three games. That is why, Pierre Maguire, you are a living legend in this show's book. Hell I want to yeah. let yes. you know that, Pierre. Yeah. You keep powering through, brother. We appreciate the hell out of you. Thanks a lot, Pat. I appreciate being on with you. Thanks so much for your passion for our sport because it really does matter. It really does. Thank you very much. Well, the Penguins lost. I lost my passion pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, 
I did. I do enjoy watching nightly. I just I don't have a horse in the race anymore, Pierre. I told you, best player to ever play hockey, Sidney Crosby, was going to guide us through this COVID Cup, and a complete opposite happened. So now I have to realign and refocus my entire hockey life. Well, I don't know. There were a lot of injuries too. I think that your team was dealing with. I don't think this is all on Sydney. I think you got to give some credit to the other team. And, and Carey no. Price was phenomenal. So there you go. Yeah, they they said the goal he stood on his head would be in problems. Uh, Nick, host of that's hockey talk, has a question for you, Pierre. Pierre, uh, goaltending standing on their head. That's been kind of a theme of the playoffs so far. Jonas Corposalo in Columbus. And then you look at what Jake Allen was able to do for St. Louis. And then Halak coming in to back up Tuka Rask, who opts out in Boston. Both of those teams go on to win two straight games. Can you talk about, like, where, where is that, that switch? How do they find to flip that switch when the backup comes in and you're, and you're down against the ropes and then you come back and win two straight games with backup goalies? I think that's a great question. I think part of that is because of how hard these guys practice, the backup goalies, number one. Number two, the players rally around them, so they get a little bit bigger, they get a little bit faster, and they get a little bit more fearless when it comes to blocking shots because they want to help the guy do well because usually those backup goalies are pretty popular guys because they stay out later in practice and help the players you know, in terms of the shooting and stuff like that. So there's a team bond there. But I think the biggest thing is you talk about Halak. He's got amazing experience. Go back to 2010 and look what he did with the Montreal Canadiens getting yeah. to the Stanley Cup. Uh, Eastern Conference Final, uh, yeah, yeah. which was amazing. They, they, should, they had no right even being there, but he got him there. Alak's got a lot of experience, so he's one example. But the performance I saw the other day from Corey Crawford, the Chicago Blackhawks, which is forcing a, a game five tonight against Vegas, is, was unbelievable. That, that was as well as I've seen Corey play since Chicago won the Stanley Cup in 2015. He was off the charts good against Vegas in game four. We just missed the heart out for the radio there, so we got nothing but time now. Uh, that's not your fault, by the way. You answered that incredibly. Probably more our fault. Which, by the way, we're in a quarantine as well, by the way. It oh, looks yeah, very yeah. different than yours. We are in like a 20,000 square foot mansion down here in Orlando. But we want to let you know, you're the man. Stay positive through this thing try to somehow maintain your energy because you are a gift to hockey my friend and a gift to the show thanks a lot pat i appreciate it take care and stay safe down there lots of sunscreen for you well uh, you know i'm very pale as are you we're both you know our names start with mc i mean we are glow i have a good base going though even though it might not look like it i have a pretty good base so i think i can go out there and rotisserie myself excellent well done Talk to you soon. What's a word we can get you to say in the middle of a game out there when you're bored? Like maybe it'll give you a little something like to, to spice up the energy. Like, you tell me. You tell me, and I'll try to uh, put it in. I would like to go uh, next door neighbor clap bomb. I'd like you to sneak that in there. That's my shot. Next door neighbor clap bomb. That's my shot. <laughs> well, I might. I don't know if I can do that, but I might get clap bomb in there. That's okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> when Pierre gets clap bomb in there, if somebody could please clip that and send that to us, we'd be very grateful. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> living legend Pierre McGuire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a uh, a schedule that I would not be able to fucking keep. <laughs> that is wild. That, that sounds that's like our uh, our fall there. Yes. Yeah. But we weren't being hassled with things being shoved in our face. I couldn't even fathom being tired, oh. miserable, going from one thing to another, then having to sit there and like, all right, we're going to shove this down your throat now. It's like, all right, here we go. Go ahead and do it, I guess. Let's go ahead and enjoy this life. That it sounds... Now, the players, obviously, same thing, because they're fucking skating, oh, yeah. sleeping, mm-hmm. yep. icing, skating, mm-hmm. sleeping, icing, and doing that. That's terrible. But nobody, when I watch that five overtime game, I was thinking, how are these fucking broadcasters have any energy? Seriously. At this point? I, I have no idea how you. midnight every day is going. 
Pierre Maguire's a legend. If he gets clap bomb in, I would like some motherfuckers to clip that for us. <laughs> that would be <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah. By the way, him saying clap bomb, I think other people will clip as well. Just Pierre Maguire loosening and letting a clap mm-hmm. bomb fly. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to run to the bathroom. I guess we had a guy cleaning the pool back here in the middle of the show or a little bit. Or I didn't see it, but the whole world saw it, I guess. I got a lot of tweets saying, hey, who, there's, a, there's a guy in your back here. <laughs> there's a guy back here. He was cleaning the pool. <laughs> Three days away from me stepping into a WWE ring for the first time when I attempt to boot Adam Cole's face off of his head into the moon in a 10-second match. A man who knows how I feel. He was once an outsider to the WWE. Then he became a dominant force in the WWE. Hall of Famer, world's strongest man, host of Busted Open Radio on Sirius XM. Ladies and gentlemen, sexual chocolate, Mark Henry. Yeah! yeah! Come on, man! pain. What's going on, man? You know what, man? I'm just checking you out. I'm looking at this. I, I forgot that you jumped off into that into that little dirty pond. <laughs> it was a river. It was a river, and there was not a, even a single thought of potentially getting impaled by a log down there. Not even a thought, Mark. Can you not hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, jamming? No. Uh-oh, did we lose Mark Henry? Oh, no. Did we lose Mark Henry? Hey, by the way, incredible dance moves right yeah, here. Yeah, you see that? Did he not just hit that? I mean, he hit that thing. Can you hear me, Mark? I can hear you great. I just, <laughs> I'm just looking at chairs, and I don't know what I'm looking at. No, Uh-oh. no. Is this a theater? No, we're looking. We're currently in the middle of a. Oh, you're in the. He's in the theater right now. He's on the computer. Okay, so I am in another room. You look fantastic. Yes. You look fantastic to me right now. You, uh, their dance moves were fantastic. We're in a drug lord's house, basically down here in Orlando, mm-hmm. and we're currently running it out for fight week because you know got to get ready for this Saturday. Yeah. Had to get locked in. We're going full keto, no carbs in here. Woo. Trying to get attractive as if I'm Mark Henry doing the show. Uh, there he is. Can you see me? I got you. Oh, man. Yeah. So awkward. If I was just talking to an empty theater head, (laughs) Billy Buttcheeks and Evan Fox in there. Uh, This Saturday, I'm stepping into a ring for the first time, Mark, okay? And I'm an outsider. Wrestling fans hate me. What would be be your tip to me for my mindset going into this weekend? Well, you got to own who you are. Like, you can't rely on what the fans always think because the fans, they're, it's all based off emotion. And you've already uh, <laughs> put them on an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> uh, you've disrespected their favorite guy. So it is what it is. You can't you can't worry about them. You got to do you. Whenever you got into wrestling, you were the world's strongest man. Okay, documented in watching your. The thing that should be talked about more is the documentaries that are on WWE Network. Watching your backstory, though, was so cool. It was so awesome watching you lift every weight on earth, and then you get into wrestling, and then there's some moments of you in the locker room, and then obviously you go on to take over. Whenever you got into wrestling, did you have that feeling of this is where I was supposed to be all along, or did you feel as if, you know, like maybe World's Strongest Man is what I was supposed to be forever? Uh, I, I was a fan. I was a super fan. So that was that was kind of my whole motivation for being there. But unfortunately, during that time, uh, pro wrestling wasn't as given and sharing as it is now. Um, everybody was resentful of me being there. Everybody was felt disrespected. People felt like um, you don't belong here. 
You know, like, it, it, I, I, I mean, I had people blatantly tell me, it ain't no way you should get the money you get. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've never even scratched the signing bonus. And uh, I was mad that they even posted how much I got, how much I paid, how much I got paid. Yeah. It's like, I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like. That was that was that was the bad time, man. Like uh, that first three years sucked because just like you and your reaction, um, you're a sharp guy as well as a physically imposing guy. Uh, you said a punter, a punter. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you're just a little guy, you know, and, and you went into your thing. It was different for me because I grew up fighting. I did karate. I oh. boxed. I grew up in a neighborhood where if you didn't fend for yourself, you got your ass killed or, or kicked or killed. So for me, I was just like, well, let's go outside. If you want it that bad, you want my money, come beat me and I'll give it to you. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That is so awesome. I was a bit of an asshole. <laughs> wow. And, uh, but I was a good guy. On TV, red, white, and blue, America's guy. But in the locker room, I was like, "Man, I hit your guts, man! Like you look at me funny, I'm looking at you funny. What what you want to do?" And it was not <laughs> the best course of action <clears throat> because I was giving my body <clears throat> in the ring to people that I didn't think cared about my body. Okay, so. Um, you and Adam Cole are going to tie it off. And there is a lack of respect there, on, I think, on both sides. Yeah. You know, I can't completely say my man Pat, which, you know, we were right away fast friends. Bam. Bang. But as much as I see negatives on his side, which I think sensitivity to his size is an issue, but also... Um, you could have been the bigger man. Well, uh, and you said, "No, I'm Pat McAfee. You're not going to just talk to me any kind of way." <laughs> and, and I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't let nobody push your buttons. But I'm just saying, from a business standpoint, um, I just saw you being the bigger man and saying, "Look, Adam, you can say whatever you want. I don't agree, but." I could have. It I, is what it is. I could have definitely done that in the neighborhood you're from. You know, you could have got your ass kicked or killed in my neighborhood. If I would have just let that guy do that to me, I mean, I'm going to get bitched around uh, by by everybody. You know, and and I got a lot of text messages, by the way, that were mad at me. Friends, former teammates, former coaches, they were mad at me for not uh, snapping him in half in the in the studio. So they actually, by the way, thought I was rather professional throughout the entire thing, which after watching it back, I was not. Okay, I, I am blaming that, but I do not take back anything I say. That's why I'm excited for Saturday in the way this thing has gone. Let's talk about the wrestling road. You're a part of a show, Busted Open, that is one of the main mouthpieces of an entire business right now. Did you know you were going to get into this? Is this just something that kind of fell into place? I love that show. I listen to it later because we're on at the same time. I'm a big fan of you, Bully, LaGreca, the whole squad over there. Tommy, I'm a big fan. Gabby, I'm a big fan of everybody over there. Did you did you know you were going to be good at that whenever you were uh, retiring from wrestling? You know what? I was a communications major, and I always wanted to do radio. I thought that in college, 
I was going to be DJ Mark Henry doing the Quiet Storm <laughs> late <laughs> night. <laughs> but when I met Dave LaGreca in um, 2000, 2003, uh, I had already started in my mind saying, you know, once I get done, I want to do radio. And he was doing, you know, like two-hour shows at midnight <laughs> talking wrestling. And I thought that that was the greatest thing ever. And I was like, I want to do that. And uh, it was at the WrestleMania in Houston. I can't tell you what year it was. I met him in the lobby. And uh, he said, Mark, like, when I have conversation with you about wrestling, I learn stuff. He was like, you, you really should pursue it. And... A lot of me being in radio and being in the media uh, probably should be owed uh, to Dave LaGreca giving me a shot. He's awesome. I'm a big fan of his. What has yeah. been the reaction from your show about me and Cole? You guys think I'm going to win, obviously? Yeah? I, I, you know what? I think that you need to watch your back because just like you said, um, I'm your smart guy. You chalk it up to being smart. It's smart for you to have guys that help you achieve your ultimate goal and Roger Strong and like these guys can hurt you I mean, so I'm not like you while you're focusing on him uh, I would be like hey goose check your six <laughs> <laughs> you never know you never know so I, any advice if I was going to give you advice I'd be like don't stand back and wait on him. You're bigger than him. You're stronger than him. Overpower him and check your six. Okay. That's, that's, that's my advice. And that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to end this thing quick, by the way. I think everybody knows that I've been very, very open that I am trying to end this thing quick. I'm trying to get this over with as quick as possible because maybe – Maybe, I mean, there's a chance that my cardio might come into question. <laughs> my cardio might come into question. You said quest. maybe? Maybe, maybe, Mark, maybe. I mean, I enjoy life. Everybody knows that. But maybe the cardio could come into question if this goes long. So I believe Mike Tyson, okay, his plan was for that thing to last one round. That is it. That is what I'm thinking. I want this thing to be over with quick. This is the three dominant cocktail of you winning. Okay. No cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last time I had a few of those, you carried me home. That was fantastic. <laughs> the next one. What's the next the one? The second thing. Attack. Okay. Don't wait. Okay. And the third thing, the most important thing, check your six. <laughs> right. And you, I think that you can give him all he can handle because, you know, like you say, size plays dividends. If you can get him away from a vertical base and you can think about let me get up faster than him so I can kick him while he's down that that, that puts you in the, in, in the winning in the winning graces you've got to find a way to get him down while you're standing so you can do your thing yeah we'll do that quick we'll definitely make that happen oh, quick yeah. you got a chance to carry me home uh, in New York City just one year ago uh, from SummerSlam last year and World Strongest Man carried me home no big deal mm -hmm. I mean that is something that I shouldn't be proud of but definitely something I'm like yo World Strongest Man did you heavy? bucket list what a day you went heavy you my brother well that's what I'm about to say <laughs> who is somebody in a match or in real life that you lifted has anybody ever given you a struggle at all and what's the most amount of weight you've ever lifted at one time I, I squatted a thousand six Jesus. And I, I, just, 
I did lift the 924. <laughs> and the, the 924 is the more impressive thing because when you see all of these strong men today, they use straps. They, you, you see them, they're putting the straps on, they're wrapping it around the bar, they're tucking it in and they're pulling, they got other people helping them, get them as tight as they can, and then they do the lift. No disrespect. I'm just saying. Oh. I didn't use strap. No strap. <laughs> no strap. And to be able to do a thousand pound squat or a thousand pound deadlift is great. But I want to see a thousand pound deadlift with no straps. Have you ever done it with straps or did you just refuse? You're like, I ain't that type of guy. Get that Man, guy. I didn't anybody that watched my powerlifting career, uh, the whole term raw. When you hear raw powerlifting, that term was devised because of me, because I didn't use equipment. Hey, man, it, it, it's true. And Mark, it's man, sorry. I remember, you know, I was telling Pat and the boys a couple of weeks back, there was a there was a point you'd gotten inducted into the International Sports Hall of Fame uh, at the Arnold Classic Festival in Columbus, Ohio. They do every year. And you were part of the first class. I remember walking through that convention hall with you because I was covering your story for WWE and the amount of respect and listening to people just talk about Mark, Mark's accolades, including Arnold himself. Arnold at one point, you know, was talking to Mark about it. He was like, you know, Mark, I remember you winning the first class, the strongman competition, and you were doing this, this, and this. Like the amount of respect that Mark uh, just receives in and praise in the physical culture world, I was floored. Because, I mean, I knew the respect he got in the business, but to see it in this side of life, it was absolutely unheard of. And then I did my research, and the numbers are just staggering. That documentary is awesome. I mean, it is awesome to watch you because you struggled a little bit, right, at one point, and then you had to come back and get it again. It's just like you're an animal, man. And by the way, incredibly cool dude, which I assume is not normal in that world. I assume it's a lot of meathead, super meathead world over there. You know what, man? Like some of the most enjoyment that I've ever had, no disrespect to uh, to the, my meathead brothers, but uh, I, I've been in conversations with people where in my mind I'm like, don't laugh. Don't laugh. <laughs> just, just straight face it. And and I've almost peed myself uh, listening to some of the absurd <laughs> requests as well as stories that I've heard. And I, I want this guy told me about his diet one time. And he said that, you know what, man? One of the things that I do, you remember Rocky? And I was like, yeah. He said, you remember Rocky did the eggs? You know, meat has more protein in it. I do ground meat and I take ground meat and I grind it again with water and drink it. And I was like, that is not sanitary. <laughs> like, you may die from that, sir. Please don't do that. Like, I mean, it was like, I would get stuff like that all the time. I mean, not, what, what do you do? What, what makes you so strong? And I was like, well, you know what, man? God gave me a, a, an unlimited amount of crazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> because if I lose or if I miss a lift, I can't sleep. Uh -huh. Dr. Terry Ty said that he, he thought that in the 15 years that he was around me, he saw me miss an attempt 10 times. And those 10 times that I missed, I know I didn't sleep for a couple of days until I can get it off my mind. What can I do to make myself better? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 50 year old man. 
and I train three times a week. I'm still rocked up. Okay. Hell, yeah. Hell yeah. My my genetics and my will to not fail is what made me Mark Henry. Uh, if I was a superhero, I wouldn't be the Hulk. I'd love to be the Hulk. I'm a big fan. But I would be Hal Jordan. I would, my will is what makes me a superhero. Okay. Is, do you think your will comes from growing up in that neighborhood, obviously, that is you either get your ass kicked or killed, and that's like your opportunity? Like, hey, I, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go. I'm going to work my ass off. Oh, yeah. I, I know for a fact that that's what made me. And, and the thought of failure. I saw a lot of failure, not only in my neighborhood and around, but I saw failure in my home. And I was the kid that learned what not to do by seeing, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and too many people, they, 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 they learn by what somebody tells them rather than using their experiences. And that's why the program that I that I put together, Mark and the Strong Kids, is based off experiences. And uh, I want them to have new experience. I raise money so that they can have more experiences. Uh, I've, I've been cussed out at least three times in the last two years by my wife because I just used my money to do it. Yeah. And uh, she realized it's a good cause and that I'm doing a noble thing. But, hey, you got two kids of your own. <laughs> like, stop using your money. And ask these big corporations for money. So uh, that's that's kind of where I'm going with it now. Well, experiences are what bring your maturity. And it's really, uh, experiences teach you a lot more than anything else. I also saw you were doing some youth sports initiative where you had a stacked card. I, I don't know if that happened last Saturday or this upcoming Saturday or next Saturday. You have, no, this past Saturday. This past Saturday. I saw the, the flyer for it. You do you feel like a real obligation to give back. I feel like, and that is something that I think is what makes me such a big Mark Henry fan. It's like, you're a guy who conquered it, been there, done that self-admitted as a crazy person, but you will give back to whoever, whenever, however, man, it's an awesome thing. I have seen a lot of people take incredible gifts to the grave and not share. I will not be that guy on my, on my, tombstone there's a here lies a great man who gave all his shit away before he died <laughs> that's a cool tombstone hey that's a and, cool tombstone and i'm telling you like i feel like i need to let the world have what i've got because it was given to me it's not my place to keep it it's to keep it moving to push it up push it forward and you know, that's that's like the I feel good when I do it, too. I don't know if um, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you know, everybody's gone and there's nobody there to pat you on the back. And you look in the mirror and you go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did that. And I, I get a lot of joy out of that. That's fulfillment, man. That's like real fulfillment yeah. there. And that when I when I retired from kicking balls, you know. 
for the wrestling fans that are watching and learning about me for the first time uh, is the best in the NFL when I retired. Okay, uh, Pro Bowl, yeah. whatever. Thank you, thank you. It's a craft, okay, it's a craft, but I retired at top. But I was, I was starting to fall in love with that fulfillment feeling that I was getting off the field through the foundation, through making people laugh, through that whole thing. And that fulfillment feeling is something you cannot put a price tag on. It is real. No, you can't. It, you can't put a price tag on it. And I, I've done everything, Pat, to try to find a joy like I have now. And I told you, man, I, I, I used to do the tour of strip joints, thinking that I'm going to find my joy in the strip club. I used to... Uh, I used to ball a lot. I, if, if guys would spend five thousand, I'm spending five thousand. We gonna make it. We gonna do it big. I bought three and four thousand dollar liquor tabs, and I don't drink. <laughs> Thank you for those, by the way. <laughs> I don't drink. So then I said, you know what? What else makes me feel good? Comedy. So then I go and I, I perform at Caroline's. You know, you're supposed to like start like at mini marts, and you know. Bingo halls? Ah, screw that. I'm going to go straight to New York City to the biggest comedy club in the, in the country. And and killed. I try to find my joy where I want to find it, but nothing feels better than when I'm with those kids and they like, yeah, all right, let's go. Like that that feeling, that just got goosebumps. Oh, that's like, awesome. That's what gets me. That's what gets me. Hey, it's, I'm happy you found it here. You got another 50 years at least on this earth at the age of 50. So maybe. Maybe. Change hey, the Henry started checking out around 70, brother. Hey, <laughs> hey, the McAfee family tree is not a tall one either, brother. I mean, that thing goes quick. It's, it, a, lot of, it's a lot of women, but all the men, they like, where is everybody? <laughs> I'm gonna have hey, I'm gonna make you I'm gonna I'm gonna have you have some joy on Saturday. I wanna let you know that. I'm gonna I'm gonna there's gonna be some real joy on Saturday. Because the first conversation I had with you, first conversation I had with you, we talked, good convo. I don't think you knew who I was though at that point. You go back to your room, you Googled me, searched me, saw some of my highlights because you're a big football fan. And the next day you actually told me you're like, Hey, this man's supposed to be in our business right here. This guy is supposed to be in our business. You've been a guy since the first day I met you who has been a big fan in, in like friend of mine like a good friend of mine in the business so i appreciate the hell out of you also you carried me home when i was pretty intoxicated so i, I very much appreciate After you you threw up too i was like, allegedly allegedly by the way there was a lot in there that night i was on a full keto diet too i mean that thing oh, was it was a recipe for disaster, but it was free beers. And I was just chugging gonna beers. Do? I was just chugging beers at that point. Pat, you know that there's a um, – people always say that to be a professional wrestler, you you, you have to have that je ne sais quoi. You got to have that that something else, that, that thing that when people walk in a room and you go, who is that guy? Who is that girl? Oh, uh, damn, who is that girl? <laughs> like you, you got to have something. And when I met you, you had that. And I, didn't, I wasn't thinking like, oh, this guy's, you know, going to be a wrestler. You know, I, I'm thinking this guy is very glib. He's going to be great on the microphone. And little did I know, you're great on the microphone. Oh, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. But that's kind of been my MO uh, from the Baron Corbins of the world, the Daniel Bryans, the... Uh, Bianca Belairs, the uh, Braun Strowmans, and 
there's been probably another 20 or 30 guys from the time that I was in Louisville in 99 to now that are in the business because I spoke up for them and said, hey, they're supposed to be here. Man. Like that, if you make him, put him in the gym and make him look like a, a wrestler, he's going to be good. You take her and give her a good weave and some makeup, she's going to make it. <laughs> Jeez. There's a couple of people that needed some makeup, but I'm just saying. But I know what that looks like. And uh, I'm not batting a thousand, but uh, the Apollo Crews and, and the list goes on, man. Like there's, there's people in the business that I can see them and I just know that they're meant for it. And uh, when I said that, I meant it. Oh. Uh, I, see, I see what would be really good in our business. And I think you're going to be good for the business. I don't want you to think that uh, one win or one loss is going to define you. Okay. And when I say that, I want you to go into this match and try to take his head off. Yes. And, Hell, yeah. Um, Hell yeah. If you don't, it's not like you're going to be done. It's not like you're going to get browbeat. It's not like uh, it's the end of the road. You take what you learn from that loss and you go back and you correct it. But I don't see you losing. Me neither. By the you way. are bigger yeah. than him. Yep. You have got the three-prong game plan. No cocktails. Attack. Watch your six. You good. Feel good. And then afterwards, Cock- hopefully I, I'll be there because I'm trying to finagle my way down there. <laughs> I'll have a cooler <laughs> full of frosty beverages for you. Oh, that's very nice of you. I appreciate it. And that. I'm going to have about three or four Cokes in there for me. <laughs> and maybe a couple of bottles of water. You're going to have hydrate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Orlando, too. It's but, hot. But that is what you do. Right now, nothing. No women. Women weak in legs. Oh, I'm married. I'm married. I'm, my, my lady is here with oh, so me. Oh, you're not having sex anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's hysterical. Oh, my God. But I, I, I believe in you. I think you can get it done. But I, I just don't agree about uh, some of the some of the how we got there. Okay. Well. Uh, and and that's, that's, you know, some of that can be private conversation. Um, yeah, or, or, or we can talk about it. But I, I just, um, I look at you as being the bigger man. And, you know, like there's a lot of times where I had to swallow my pride and swallow my tongue. Because I couldn't say what I was feeling. If I did it, the best advice I ever got was from Owen Hart. He said, Mark, you're entertaining. When you get angry, it's the most scary and the most exciting shit I ever saw in my life. <laughs> he said, but if you really feel that way, don't say it where everybody can hear you. Pull that person aside when, they're, when the cameras are off and nobody's around. And say, hey, man, um, I ain't really feeling how you talk to me. The next time, there will be no warning. This is the warning. There will be no warning. They will be waking your ass up with smelling salts. (laughs) Are we clear? And when when you say, are we clear, 
Your other hand needs to be coming up, and this one needs to be coming up this. Because never let your guard down, because some people quit. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying I want you to um, – my light went out because I – uh, you, uh, so it's probably because the light, by the way, thought it was talking. You were talking to it, by the way. The yeah. light was right here. We are clear. <laughs> like, I'm going to get the hell out of here. Let me power down. I don't want to get hurt. Uh, uh, Mark, I, that's, that's kind of what I was saying. It's not that I'm saying that you were wrong because I think wholeheartedly you were right to defend yourself. If somebody talks shit to me, I'm a, I'm a pretty slick with the tongue. I'm going to talk <laughs> back. I'm going to talk back to you. I have to do it. And if. Talking don't fix it, then there's always the door, and it usually spins to the right. And you can pull on it and go outside, and I'll be right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. Hey, Mark, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know the boys were excited you were coming on oh, the yeah. chat. I will see you very, very soon. Uh, this is an awesome time to be alive. I'm three days away from a fight, and hopefully I can channel a little Mark Henry uh, from last summer slam carrying me home and carry a dub out of that ring on Saturday night in the first two minutes because we do know, we do know that the vitamins could have an effect on the cardio, and we do not want to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, Hall of Famer, Hall of Painter, hosted a busted open, legendary human, Mark Henry! I want to be your Ed McMahon. Oh, you're 100%? Come on. We got a chair right here for you, by the way. Just come on down. I mean, I would have to go through the drug lord palace and try to see if there's anything that was left behind. Not the drugs. No, no, just... (laughs) Stuff. The money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some things probably hidden in some uh some Grandpa, look under the bottom of the chairs. That's why I used to always duct tape the you know, the extra cash. Yeah, oh yeah. And I've seen documentaries and movies. I, I mean I'm we're gonna give a thorough search of this place at some point. Cut the cushions open. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Henry. Appreciate yeah, you, Mark. Mark. Thousand pound squat, nine hundred and sixty two pound deadlift, no straps. He's, he did just kind of swoop me up on his shoulder. I mean, it was a wild scene. And then he even put me in the car, and he uh, rolled the window down and was like, all right, put your head out there. And I was like, Mark. He's done it before. What a nice guy. Oh, yeah. He said, I am on a long list of uh, wrestling people <laughs> yeah. that he's done that to. And I asked him who, and he was like, well, it's not my job to tell you who ended up like this. And I was like, and then he said there were some legends on there, though. And I'm like, well, all right. That makes me feel good. I'm excited for Saturday. We all are. It is fight week. Big thank you to Mark Henry for joining us. Sexual Chocolate, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. And uh, that Busted Open show is really good. I'm a wrestling fan, so I listen to it later. It is really, really cool to hear them talk about things and that inside story. I mean, the wrestling world is its own world, and it's it's its own world. Yeah. The stories are just electric. All right. Can't thank you enough. I'm so intrigued to see how tonight goes, to see, you know, the reaction from you guys. Uh, we got a podcast coming tomorrow, man. And to Pod Squad, shout out to you. I thank you for listening all the way to the end here. Hashtag End of Pod Squad. Send me in your reaction to whatever happens tonight. I am like literally two minutes away uh, from the arena. <laughs> this is a wild time to be alive because I feel like there's probably going to be some shit that pops off here. Uh, you know, a good podcast those prior chords is later in the night, so I can give you a re- ah. Reaction tomorrow on the podcast, The Pat McAfee Show 2.0. Be a friend, tell a friend if you enjoyed the show. If not, just act like it never fucking happened. Cheers. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Reactions to life, fallout, you name it. What a world.
Cheers. Tashmeh, please play some independent music.